Welcome to another episode of Comedy Wham Presents with me, your host, Valerie, and sometime co-hosts, Ms. Purrington and Mookie. ComedyWham.com is your place to go for features about all Austin comedy. You can keep up with us on Twitter and Instagram at Comedy Wham or on our Comedy Wham Facebook page. In addition to podcasts, Comedy Wham brings you articles, album reviews, our advice column, Rochelle Takes on Comedy, and we've also got a festivals page. And we've got our FPIA 2022 page where you can keep up with all of the contest results. And of course, we're best known for our events page for live shows in Austin, Houston, and DFW. If you're a comic in those cities and want your show featured on the calendar, go to the events page and click Submit a Show to complete the short survey. Tag us on your Instagram stories and we'll share your show promo. Looking for ways to support all these resources we provide? You can donate to Comedy Wham on PayPal, Venmo, or even Patreon. Search for Comedy Wham on Patreon and check out our subscriber perks. Now let's get back to our podcast. Launched in 2016, the podcast project brings you funny people and their stories. As a fan, I like to delve into a comic's background and motivations, and we usually take a detour along the way. Consider the interview a way for you to get to know the folks that make the Austin comedy scene one of the best in the country. If you like this podcast, please rate and review us. Today, we are talking to the most reluctant host ever of the FOGO Fear of Going Outside podcast, which is incredible, and I've been binging it the last couple of days. Make sure you check it out. Uh, They're the host of Tongue in Cheek, a queer open mic, and it's currently the only one in town. She's a writer and actress. She is a polyglot, speaking Spanish, German, Vietnamese, and English. And she and I were both part of the Lysistrata Comedy Festival in New Orleans earlier this year. And she is just a ray of sunshine, and you are going to love her too. And now Comedy Wham presents our guest, Ivy Lee. Hey! Hey! I'm Ivy Lee with one E. What's up? <laughs> Do you just naturally like spout that off? Lee with one E yeah, everywhere you, have you go. To. And you have to. Yeah. And then people get really confused, and you have to be like, I have no relation to Robert E. I'm Asian as is well. Is that, I mean, do, yeah, do, do people naturally, is that where they go to? Is, oh, you must be related to Robert E. <laughs> no, they don't. They don't. They don't go to it, but they insist on misspelling my name. And then sometimes when I say Ivy Lee with one E, they'll just add one E to Ivy, you know, I V E Y. Oh, <laughs> also oh my gosh. Last name with these. And, but after a point, I don't correct them because, you know, I'm old enough that I care about my credit score and stuff like uh-huh. that now. So, you know, it, I'm just like, you know what? If they misspell my name and then, like, something comes up and, like, a bill comes in my mail or whatever, it comes up on my credit score and yeah. I'm like, I don't know her. <laughs> That's not how you spell Perfect. my name. <laughs> so I don't bother. I don't bother correcting people. <laughs> I, I totally get that because uh, my name is basically like the John Smith of Hispanic names. <laughs> Like, there are so many Valerie Lopez's out I, there. I know three. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. The, one I'm, the only one I'm ever really concerned about is there was a woman in San Antonio who murdered her children mm, named that is Valerie concerning. Lopez. It is and concerning. It, it happened when I was young enough, like in my 20s, that I, like, I was thinking, you know, if I'm ever in a job-seeking situation, somebody's going to Google my name, and that's going to come up because it's current events-ish enough. And so that was like a real worry mm-hmm. of mine. How did that play out? Uh, I mean, I've, it's never come up. Okay, I'm good. the only good. one that ever brings it up. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe it's to make sure people know that I could mm-hmm. be that mm-hmm. one. Nobody ever really knows because there's so many of us. You only know when it's too late. Right, right. 
Uh, Ivy, I have an icebreaker question. Okay. And it is one word to describe your past. One word to describe your... I I heard you ask this on your <laughs> podcast. And I was like, she asked it two recently ago. She's not going to ask me that. I don't have to prepare an answer to that question. <laughs> I ask it every episode. It's my thing. Do you ask it every I episode? I do. Oh, no. Sometimes I forget to ask until like halfway into the... <laughs> I think my past is hysterical. (laughs) And I hope other people do too. I mean, just from from the number of languages that you speak alone, that's amazing. I had a very reckless youth. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Where where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Dallas, Texas. Oh, and then, uh, so I'm a native-born Texan, born in Houston, raised in Dallas, uh, you know, settled in Austin, have my family. But I also lived in Georgia for 11 years, 11 uh-huh. really formative years of my life. Uh, so I'm just Southern. I'm just like super, super Southern. Yeah. I've never spent more than a week north of the Mason-Dixon line. <laughs> and I'm definitely a city person. I think I thought, I think I, when I went to Georgia, I thought that I had the wonder years childhood because <laughs> i you know every when you're a kid everything that you you think everything that you know is normal yeah right until you've learned otherwise uh because you're just a kid you don't have a, a, your experiences are your only experiences yeah and so uh i thought because i didn't live in like these really tall buildings downtown that i lived in a suburb i have i thought that i went crawdad fishing in a creek on the weekends with my bestie riding bikes around the neighborhood. I thought, you know, I, I thought that this, I was just a regular American. And then I went to Georgia and my friends took me to a real Creek and I learned that mine was a sewer. <laughs> and that actually I have never seen a suburb. Oh. I had never seen a suburb. Oh, wow. I, uh, I'm very much a city person. Huh? Okay. So I grew up in Burleson. Oh Yeah. Which is a legit suburb. Very, it was a legit, actually, it was like rural when I was living there. It's only like recently, well, not recently now, probably 20 years that it's a, you know, full on suburb of Fort Worth. And I always, when we would go every year to the state fair, so we made our trek into Dallas. And so I have only seen Dallas from, you know, the tall, tall buildings and then the area around the fairgrounds. Mm Mm-hmm. So I know it well because we get the day off for the Texas State Fair. You get a day off ah. of school. Students, stu- or I thought I thought students all over Texas got a ticket to the Texas State Fair, and you got your school district oh. gets a school holiday to go. That's cool. I didn't. We you didn't start holiday. going every year until I was past high school. Mm-hmm. Had I known that, that yeah. I would have taken advantage of that. <laughs> or maybe my parents knew, and they're like, "We are not letting you take a day off from school for this." I don't know. Or maybe we were too far away from Dallas. The school, yeah, maybe you're just too far. But yeah, yeah the schools would clo- would have like a school holiday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. Um, Ivy, was comedy something that, do you have memorable moments about laughing or something no. hysterical growing no. up? Honestly, I had a terrible childhood. But in retrospect, it's very funny. <laughs> so it, living it was not very funny. Yeah. <laughs> but in retrospect, it was hilarious. Uh, no. And I definitely don't think, uh, comedy is something I came to much later in life. Um, 
like, I mean, honestly, relatively recently, uh, because I'm old, I normally am not ashamed of my age, but ever since I started acting, I have learned that in this line of work, it is oh, incredibly yeah. taboo to share your yeah. age. But I, I will tell you that I am one and a half IUDs away from menopause. <laughs> Okay. And so when I was growing up, comedy, there was nothing in comedy. Like in the 90s, there was kind of, we had like this like really beautiful period of um, incredible black sitcoms and in living color, mm-hmm. black sketch shows, you know. Living single. Living, oh my gosh. Yeah. So many, so many good shows that like really, um, that influenced me, you know, like that was just like yeah. the funniest stuff like on the air. Everybody's, everybody I knew was watching this stuff. Um, but in terms of stand-up comedy, uh, which is my, which is what, you know, I love stand-up comedy now, but back then there was really nothing going on in stand-up comedy to make me think that that could be for me. Hmm. It wasn't until, um, I think a year or two, two years before the pandemic, I did a piece at a storytelling show here in town called Bedpost Confessions. And I did a piece about sexuality after childbirth and People came up to me. It was just a story, right? I do consider myself a, a spoken word artist. I was a spoken yeah. word artist when I lived in my reckless youth in huh. Atlanta. You know, I did. Uh, I was just kind of on that scene. I yeah. didn't compete uh, in slams because I I didn't like the time limits and the the way that things are, are kind of incentivized when it's a contest of art. Sure. You know, they're incentivized to kind of do certain things with your art. And so, but I was like around and, and performing a lot. So I, I wasn't, you know, unaccustomed to performing on stage and talking about my life on stage, but this was the first time that people came up to me after, and they weren't like, you should try comedy. They assumed that I was a working comedian. Oh, wow. They were just like, oh, I love stand-up comedy. Where do you do the thing? Like, people basically <laughs> thought, felt that I had just did a, a, a really compelling set, yeah. <laughs> a really compelling 20-minute set, according to these people, you know? <laughs> and at the time, because it was after... I, you know, I, I had been pregnant and had my baby and, and all that. I had had a really hard time getting back into the workforce mm. and I couldn't figure out, I, I was, I was getting so many job interviews, right? I just wasn't getting the job. And it was starting to get to the point where I was like, I have to, I, I, I have to go take the translation exams at the hospital or the courthouse or, you know, or pick up a job at Sephora for the holidays or something. You know, I was just so stressed yeah. about money that I just wasn't able to get a job for some reason after I had, I took a break from having uh, with my kids and, um, that, I just really wasn't in a position to turn down career ideas, <laughs> Do you know. <laughs> so I was and like, "Boy, is stand up one of the most stable ones you can choose out there." But it was people were coming up to me yeah. wanting to give money to buy tickets to my shows that they thought I was having, yeah. and I just was like, "I need to figure out how to get these people's money because yeah. I don't. I need to make money. I have I have two kids. Yeah. Like I gotta make some money, you know." Right. <laughs> So uh, that's how I, and so then when, when people told me that, I started to look into the state of comedy, you know, today or at that time, mm-hmm. you know, and Hannah Gadsby's uh, Nanette had just come out and then I dug deeper and I found Ali Sadiq's stories from This Is Not Happening, Mexicans Got On Boots, um, the prison riot story, um, and some other stories that he did. And, you know, he's just down the road in Houston, Texas. Mm-hmm. And I found, you know, I found all these like really incredible storytelling comics whose who whose artwork I was like, hey, you know, if this stuff counts as comedy, this is what I'm doing. Yeah. You know, I get I see why people thought I was a stand-up comic. This what they're doing is what I'm doing. 
so comedy, I think I did not become a comic. I just, I, I, I continued to do what I was doing, but comedy became more of a storytelling art form. Huh. And so comedy moved to me and maybe one day comedy will move away from me and, and become something else, but yeah. I will probably still be doing what I do. And if people laugh, like, great, you know, yeah. I, I think, I think it won't move away from what I'm doing. I think what's happening is comedy, it, it, comedy as defined by the consumers of comedy is becoming so much broader than what the traditional gatekeepers of comedy Mm -hmm. consider it to be. But just because of the technology and the way the world is and how people consume media, uh, the gatekeepers can't gatekeep. I mean, it's it's the internet. How are you supposed to gatekeep the internet if you're just like a booker? You know, you don't own the internet. (laughs) Right. That that was one of my big takeaways. I, uh, not to toot my horn, but I will toot my horn. I wrote an article for... Uh, the Austin Chronicle about the return of Cap City. And Mm -hmm. one of the things I took away from uh, the whole experience of writing it is how comedy has changed so much because now you have these, these superstars that were born out of TikTok, born out of Instagram live. And it's like, there's not that traditional or there's not solely that traditional, you know, club comic growing up, going through the, the channels of the open mics to the showcases, to the club, uh, and the bookers anymore. don't, and the bookers can't keep up. The bookers have no idea who these people are. Yeah. And then they, you know, they say, okay, yeah, sure. Come on in. And they end up with like all these handfuls of sh- sold out shows for somebody that's a TikTok star. <laughs> and they're like, <laughs> they were trying to figure out how to download the app. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. And you know, TikTok, TikTok, um, TikTok serves you what you interact with. Hmm. And so then they'll like download TikTok and they'll be like, TikTok's not funny. It's just a <laughs> bunch of girls with their tits out. And I'm like, uh, oh, well, you're telling on yourself. <laughs> So one of the things that I heard you say a couple of times is you identify as the storyteller comic. And when you are a storyteller comic, the open mic as the traditional gateway entry into uh, being a stand-up comic is incredibly difficult. Yeah. So what was your, like, how did you get into, you know, doing shows did you do mics? Because they're oh, hard yeah. venue. So for me, when I first started doing comedy, it was before, obviously it was before the pandemic. The, um, it, the open mics, it wasn't the time restraint that was difficult. Mm. It's that I have two kids. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I can, the yeah. time, the time restraint doesn't, uh, doesn't, it didn't really penalize me, mm-hmm. um, in terms of making the audience experience, you know? Um, but what it did, did penalize me is it, it can sometimes be distracting from the kind of work that I want to do, mm-hmm. which is more like what, you know, in, in Australia, people put together one hour, serious comics who are starting out in Australia, they're kind of expected to put together a one hour show in like three or four years within, of, of starting, yeah. you know? There are lots of comics in uh, Europe that, you know, are festival comics, or so they're really expected to, uh, like for their, the way that they do things is they put together these shows to, you know, be at Fringe, like the, the Fringe, yeah. Edinburgh Fringe Festival, or, you know, what have you, or the Melbourne Comedy Festival or whatever. And so they're turning over one hour shows very early on in their career before the rest of us ever hear about them. Mm-hmm. And then American comics, we kind of build just like, 10 minute sets and so then when we finally get our one hour set it's just clearly five to six 10 minute sets kind of you know one after the other you know and that's just not 
what I, um, I, I, I really love, I really love a plot arc. You know, I love a, I love a three act structure. I, I, and I find that audiences really enjoy it too. And it yeah. keeps them in, engaged because the way that we as animals like store incredible amounts of very complex information in our head is in stories mm-hmm. so that we can act and, you know, so we have, so we have these stories so we can act on this information when we need to and, and, and very quickly in the blink of an eye, you know, or whatever. And so we're very, I think we're very wired to be interested and, and pay attention to stories as, as relevant. Mm-hmm. But I think what happened is uh, once I, once the pandemic hit, kind of my barriers to entry were everybody's barriers to entry, right? Yeah, Everybody then yeah. had to stay home. It wasn't just me because I have a family. Yeah. Uh, and so when that happened, I really felt like, oh, I have no excuse anymore. Lo- the playing field's level. No one can go out. So if yeah. no one can go out, I'm older. I have more life experience. I've been writing for, you know, longer than some of these kids have been alive. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like I, I, uh, I have, you know, I know how to market things. Like, yeah. cause that was my day job. Was it before, you know, before I had kids, I, I was like in marketing and PR and social media and that kind of stuff. So I'm like, now that the chief barrier to entry to comedy is, is the same for everyone. Mm-hmm. I really have no excuse. And that's the first year of the pandemic is when I sold Fogo to Spotify. Wow. So you're, again, you're, you're hitting me with the non-traditional stuff that rather than going understood that the pandemic shut everything down, you didn't decide to do, you know, Zoom shows or create your own Zoom show. You went for a podcast idea. Yeah. I just sold, I just sold a podcast, which I mean, it is a digital comedy medium. Mm-hmm. It's hilarious. Right? It's so, and it's, I was telling you before we hit record, like it is so well produced. I am very finicky about, I, I don't do a lot of sound editing for my own podcast, but I have an ear for when somebody has put a lot of care into production and sound value into their, their podcast. And I was blown away. Like even just the trailer was like, oh my God, this is incredible. And your voice for it is just so like engaging and you could tell you're hysterical. Thank you so going, much. So like, and the sound team, like we have sound engineer, we have producer, like, I mean, the whole team would be, and we have composer, you know, who's yeah. in there and our composer is local, our producer is local, you know, so the, uh, I think the team will be really happy to hear you say that. Yeah. And, and even, you know, we're talking about it as if, you just decided to start the podcast. It wasn't even that. It was a competition. And oh, you... so you're talking about the Spotify Sound Up competition? Yeah. So um, it's kind of related, but it isn't related. Oh, okay. So um, Spotify Sound Up was, is, is, it is a, it's a podcast accelerator program um, that is for, uh, in, in the United States, it's specifically for women of color, aspiring women of color podcasters. Mm-hmm. And I did apply, I think, the uh, like years ago, the first year that they did it, I applied. And they were so overwhelmed <laughs> with applications. <laughs> yeah. They had like eight. 18,000 people apply and they did not think it was going to be that big a deal. And so it was just Spotify employees who volunteered to be on a committee to review the applications oh outside of their regular job duties. Do you hear what I mean? <laughs> In addition to the regular job duties. And so, um, it was just too many applications. And so they didn't, they had to delay announcing and telling <laughs> people for a really long until yeah. almost before the event, you know? Um, and, uh, and they picked 10 people out of that 18,000 and I was one of them, but, 
all that was was that you got to go to these um to to go to the 10 women we like kind of had workshops together Uh um for five days in new york and that led back then they do it a little bit differently now but back then we had to be in a pitch competition with each other for a small amount of grant money Hmm. and three women would get it Uh, and i was not one of those three women so um, I didn't really win anything. <laughs> yeah, I didn't really win anything. Um, and then, uh, but then luckily uh, I did a, you know, people were just so, my, my friends were so encouraging um, and were like, hey, you know, if you want to do a Kickstarter, like we'll donate. And so I said, really? And so my brother and I put together a Kickstarter uh, video, did a Kickstarter campaign, and I raised enough money to get ah. my, my equipment and stuff like that. And I was just going to make the show one yeah. way or the other. Um, and so it wasn't, um, I, I talked to a lot of different, spot, uh, not just Spotify, you know, mm-hmm. I talk, I can't tell you who all I talked to, but like, <laughs> I talked to a lot of, yeah. you know, um, different networks, sure. um, to pitch the show and, and Spotify did just have, you know, the, the Spotify, we, we want, I wanted to work with Spotify. They, you know, and they wanted to work with me and, yeah. and we felt that the terms were good. And so, you know, I ended up going with Spotify, but it wasn't a, a competition. I mean, I guess it's, it's, it, it, these I mean, whatever you're, you're a person of color, the women, (laughs) any of these like hunger game contests, you know, they're like, they don't address, they don't address the inherent bias in their systems of their gatekeepers and how they choose what goes on the air and stuff like that. And so it, um, it was amazing to, to meet all these other podcasters, um, and get to know them and and all these incredible women of color who Mm -hmm. are passionate storytellers. You know, I don't have that community here in Austin. And so to like go to New York to just like make some friends that are like on the same wavelength was just like amazing. You know, it's so hard to, um, to find, like, I, I, I very open to all kinds of people. And so my friends are very different from each other and very different from me. And it enriches my life in so many ways that sometimes you just want to like have shorthand with somebody about the thing that you're irritated about or the story that you're working on, you know, (laughs) and I don't, I don't always like have that handy. And so that was like an incredible experience, but ultimately it's people kind of think it gives you some advantage, but I promise you there's no unmelanated podcaster at Spotify that had to compete head to head with 18,000 other people to just get like a meeting. But, but I, but I, uh, but I did. And so then my, um, you know, I, I, if I could do that, then yeah, I knew that I would be able to sell my, I knew I would be able to sell my show. Yeah. We've danced around the, the how it got made process, but in your words, tell us what the podcast is about. Oh, so Fogo Fear of Going Outside is a nature show by the most reluctant host ever. <laughs> I'm from the hood of Dallas, Texas. I grew up on the Hong Kong supermarket. Uh, and it, yeah, so uh, it's a, in season one, I try to figure out how to go camping. Mm-hmm. And I literally do it. I really do do it. And right now we're in production on season two. Ooh exciting <laughs> and it's about hunting oh my god <laughs> oh. oh my god Valerie it's such a fucking shit show it's such a shit show I can't even oh I have god. to laugh about it because I'm so mad about it it's so man I it's a, so season two's I mean you could warm February. up you know camping to foraging for berries but no you're going straight to hunting I I, I pitched so I pitched three different concepts for season two when we got renewed 
and they had to pick hunting. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Wow. They said, I'm snorting. They said, Ivy, you complained so much in season one <laughs> about having to do stuff that you hate. Yeah. Uh, so we wanted to give you something that you like doing, and we know you like cooking, so we pick hunting. And I'm like, are you guys serious? <laughs> sure, the two go hand in hand. That's why we have HEBs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, we got a, a long ways to go before I'm famous enough to just get to do something fun, yeah. like judge fashion competitions. <laughs> We're like have a cooking show with celebrities. I'm a long ways from that. Oh, that's funny. As as a listener, uh, I one thing you haven't mentioned that is one of the reasons that I also like your your episodes. I'm I think I'm three or four episodes in. Is yes, you are the reluctant host. You do not understand outsideness or outdoor people or outdoor people. But you have outdoor people, and you have like you know well-educated, informed, you know, experts who come on and, and educate you. And so there's like this, you know, mix of it's educational, but it's also like you just freaking out about spiders. Yeah. I mean, that's the show in a nutshell. Yeah. 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 So go listen. <laughs> it's very good. And as, I've, as we've already declared, the, the production value is incredible. You don't have to listen to it on Spotify because it's available, you know, it's, oh. it's available uh, everywhere. It's just Spotify is like the label, you know, but oh. um, it does help me a little bit more, marginally <laughs> well, more listening. if you listen to it on Spotify. <laughs> I appreciate it if you listen to it on I Spotify. I dusted off my login for Spotify because I generally don't listen to Spotify. Uh, for my podcast, but I'm like, well, I'll do oh, this one. I'll, I'll do this it. one just, so, it. just for yeah. her numbers, just so that the Spotify <laughs> folks see Ivy's numbers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So you, you, during the pandemic, you've got this, you, you've got this whole big development of this podcast. So at what point then do you get on a stage to perform comedy or as a like knowing, on, like knowingly, knowingly. Yeah. Performing comedy. Yes. <laughs> knowingly with intent. <laughs> so it was actually Pride Week. Uh, so I have so I have I literally this call, year or last. No, it was um, before before the pandemic. Okay. The, pandemic. the um, <laughs> so after my bedpost confession show, the uh, Pride Week that year, um, I got roped into going uh, to a Pride comedy show, which I was uh, I was happy about um, by like just some cool young hip, you know, interracial polyamorous friends of mine. And, you know, and I'm like, I'm always like so thrilled when they invite me to anything because I'm just like, mom, you know, I'm just like yes. kind of, <laughs> right. you know, I, I know some people experience me as eccentric. I experience myself as a very basic ABG, which is an Asian baby girl. I experience myself as a very basic ABG turned mom. So when these like my cool young polyamorous friends are like, come, they always invite me and I always have to be like, I can't, but they, but they keep, but they keep inviting me. Oh, that's God sweet. bless them. Yeah. And. So finally, I was like, yeah, I'm going to go to this comedy show, you know, to this, uh, and that was, uh, it was at Cap City that year. And afterwards, they were, you know, because they were so cool and extroverted, and they were, like, talking to all the comics, and all the comics were going to, um, to go, were all going to the open mic at Mr. Tramps after mm. the show. <laughs> oh, yes. Good old Mr. Tramps. Yeah, so they were like, I would be like, let's go. Let's go see these comics. Everybody's going to go to the open mic. Let's go. And I was like, ah, uh, you know, fine. I'm already out. I'll just go. I'll just stay for like a little bit and then I'll go home. It's actually really close to my house. So I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll just stay for a little bit. Because I live in the Asian part of town. Mr. Tramps is in an Asian yeah. shopping center that's like really close to where I live. And I went 
And I didn't understand how the selection of who goes up on stage works because uh-huh. everybody was putting their name in like a bucket or like a bowl or something. Yeah. And then he, and then the host just called like four names. And so I was like, okay, because my friends said, Ivy, you should go up. You should go. Cause it was after that bed post confession show. They're like, you should go put your name in the bucket. I'll buy you a drink. And I was like, okay, I'll put my name in a bucket. I'll get the drink. I'll stay for the drink. The statistically, I will not get called because yeah. he's only calling four people out of an entire bucket of names. No, girl. He yeah, calls right. every single name in the bucket. He was drawing to randomize the order. Oh, okay. I did not understand uh. that that's what was happening. <laughs> <laughs> so I went up. So then I was like, oh, you know, I'm safe. I'm just going to sit here and enjoy this drink with my friends uh-huh. and enjoy some comics like testing out material and then just go home. And, you know, that was it. That will be my adventure. Uh, no, I get called. Eventually I get called. More drinks are had. <laughs> and I was like, what? I really am going up? So I just went up and just told him, like, this whole story of like, this is how I got here just to impress these like cool young people <laughs> and, you know, and to follow all these like comics or whatever. And I told the story of how, you know, like I'm, I, I just grew up like really, like I'm the oldest daughter of immigrants. I don't do this kind of thing. I always in straight edge, like my entire life. But like, you know, now that I like went to college and I went to grad school and I got married and I had kids and everything. And like, so finally, like, I, I feel like my opportunity costs have gone down and like <laughs> a true story. And I was like, so last month I tried drugs and that was my time. And then the timer was over. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, and uh, so afterwards, how did you feel being up there under this? Like, OK, now I'm doing this. As comic person, how did you feel being up there? The like, you know, I was a little blindsided, and I was like, I guess I'm just gonna be honest and tell them what's that, how I feel. Uh-huh. <laughs> just like, tell tell them like where I'm at because uh-huh. that's all I've got right now. Um, it, it was it was wild, and I was so nervous, and I was talking really fast, and you know, my friends recorded it, so I was able to see what happened mm-hmm. afterwards. And there's even a point where like I didn't understand how like the light worked oh. or whatever, and the and it was and Mr. Tram is like really dark, yeah. you know, and really dark, and so. And I and there's a point in the tape where where I'm like I'm sorry is that my time is that my time I'm so sorry I don't know how this time works and I was like could you just like um, I'm so, and the guy the guy is black and I was like I just can't see what you're doing because you know it's really dark and like you're you're black and like, could you just could you like wave or smile or like so I could see like your teeth or something or like in the darkness or like now and he, but he was like cracking up so much he was he said he was smiling and so I was just like is that does that mean my time's up like I don't know what's happening. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You know, it's like a a minute of me like apologizing for not understanding how how things are working, you know, and that just like, honestly, that just honestly is how I feel. But, um, my, uh, but, but afterwards, uh, uh, Colton Dowling, who's a comic here, who's in the pride show, Mm -hmm. um, who is gorgeous, by the way, (laughs) who doesn't have a crush on Colton. Uh, Freaking believably, <laughs> like smoke show. Abs of steel. A smoke show. Sorry. Huh? He, he actually objective. He has person. worked as a model. Yeah. Like yeah. he's actually had like paid work as a model. Yeah. Um. It, he came up, so, you know, but he came up to me, total sweetheart, and was like, "Hey, you're really funny. You're like really, really funny. 
don't go to Mike's like this one. <laughs> he's like, this is not, he's like, he's like, I totally, you know, he's like, you're really funny. You should go to these different mics. I'm going to ask like all my female comic friends, like where they like to go. Yeah. Um, don't be in these like homophobic rooms like this, you know, go, you're hilarious. Like go be a better audience. I'm going to, I'm going to message you in the morning when I figure out where the mics that all, all the women comics, I, the great women comics I yeah. know are going and I'll send you the list. And he did. And he, and he did, and, and then each one he was like, okay, and this is the host, like, go say hi to the host, this is her name, yada, yada, yeah. you know, and kind of gave me, like, a little mini guide on how to get uh, how to get in there and avoid, you know, spaces that would make me not want to do comedy right. anymore, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I, and it was, and I, now I try to pay it forward, you know, every time I see, like, a new comic going out to these shows, like, I try to do the same thing, mm-hmm. because I, I think that that's, uh, especially for people who are traditionally marginalized in mainstream media, mm-hmm. you know, that's, like, really important to know that what you see at an open mic does not represent comedy as a whole. Most of these, like, people who are punching down, who are, you know, like, is it, you know, like, don't you wish your wife was dead? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, those kinds of jokes are, like, pedophilia, like, people, they also like to um, punch down at homeless people here for <laughs> whatever reason. Yeah. Like, it, and obviously, like, using people, like, cool groups of people as a punchline in lieu of writing an actual mm-hmm. punchline, you know, it can make um actually funny people it can be really discouraging to actually funny people and so <laughs> i try right. to reach and out it paints to that like you said it paints that picture that oh well this is my experience here it must be what it's like at every place or like you go to one of those and the people there just send you to all the other ones like it but actually mm-hmm. the Austin comic scene is like huge there's yeah. so i mean it's just so it's a glut of stage time here but um but you know a, a lot of it i mean actually if it, it, they should go to comedy wham you <laughs> know you. because comedy wham um lists all of them yeah. as opposed to you know like you know, people comment and like just following certain comics who tell you where they are because then you're just going to go to the ones in that same subculture mm-hmm. you know and that subculture here has grown actually a lot in the pandemic yeah. and in the in the pandemic it was basically only people who didn't believe that it was real who were out, you know, and there were a lot of people here because people don't realize, um, like Joe Rogan lives here. Alex Jones lives here. Like a lot of those kinds of radio personalities live here. And so a lot of people have moved to Austin to try to follow that career path, Mm -hmm. you know, and be in that media ecosystem. Um, and it, and it, and it works for them, but if you, but if that's not the, if that's not the audience for you, um, they're not, they're, I don't, I don't play shows like that, not because they don't pay well, they don't pay well, but it's because it's like, I'll pay, I'll do shows that don't pay well. If I think in the audience, you know, the people, the host of the show and the producers of the show are promoting the show and bringing the kinds of people who will eventually become my fans, eventually become people who will be happy to pay $60 for a ticket to see my standup special. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, I don't need... Like, that's what I need. I need to cultivate a fan base. And if I go to these shows, like, these people are not going to be fans of my comedy. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, what, there's there's no, like, investment there, you know, for me. But for uh, but there are these other other places. So you kind of have to, like, reach out and, and let those people know how to access these other spaces. Right, right. So you um, started doing more comedy and... Was it last year that you started your tongue-in-cheek? Oh, yeah. So, so I start. So one of those spaces is 
this sh- this monthly show I have at Swan Dive, I co co-hosted by Era Juliet, mm-hmm. who also uh, works with, is a story editor on Fogo. If you're going outside, a uh, hilarious comic, mm-hmm. um, incredible host. Uh, it ho- she hosts things all over town. Um, and she, uh, she actually recently started doing drag. I mean, Air Juliet is just incredible. incredible. She, she curates the, um, the annual black and queer as fuck showcase, um, the official, you know, the official black and queer as fuck showcase every year. She's just really, really incredibly talented. Um, and she believes in the, in, in kind of like our, our work of queer and comedy so much that uh, tongue in cheek is the, we call the audience voted. It's, we don't call it tongue-in-cheek anymore. We call it tongue-in-cheek because it sounds like a gay <laughs> pub. Yeah, like, Come down with a tongue-in-cheek. We're oh, going to sing great. some sea shanties and you know, pass around a ball of mead. Like, you know, so they, the people are really into tongue-in-cheek now, so yeah, now we're just rebranding I it. I'm like, yeah, the audience voted unanimous. Yeah. unanimous. Um, so we created this. Uh, space for queer comics to develop queer comics. They do all kinds of stuff. You know, um, we like record the sets. We sometimes we have like free headshot events. Like um, I let people, you know, remind people of deadlines of festival like submissions and things like that. And we have different set times. Like we do, we have a future comic in the middle of it so that a queer comic like gets paid, you know, and that, uh-huh. and that newer comics can see these more experienced comics and what they're doing and be exposed to them, you know. And so we do all these things to try to develop a, a pipeline of queer comics. And I am really proud every, month we a real audience shows up Uh a real audience shows up which is unheard of at open mics right but i think it's because dude it's like there's demand for comedy Mm -hmm. where you know the people holding the mic are not going to attack you yeah right like whoa that's weird (laughs) weird we'll be talking about things that you yourself can relate to I mean, queer people are people who relate to everything. Yeah. Right? They just don't want to be attacked by the person. It's just not funny to be yeah. attacked by the person holding the mic. Right? Yeah. So, uh, so all these cons- so we have a real audience, and almost every month, somebody is a first timer who had been in the audience ah. in a previous month. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. And I have also seen comics noticing the bad practices that they bring from these straight spaces, mm-hmm. you know? And I've also noticed like comics that have signed up, not in good faith all the mm-hmm. time. Sometimes they, and we used to, uh, you know, one time we did have to kick somebody off the stage. that was just so not in good faith, but um, usually they'll be like, oh, you know, and just kind of explain like the one queer experience that they had, or they'll be like, oh, well, like I'm queer, but only, you know, when I'm you know, under this like very specific circumstance or whatever yeah. and you just watch them by the end of their set and I'm like nobody say anything because they start to realize that they're like oh shit I'm queer like, <laughs> 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 I'm like nobody say anything let it marinate <laughs> Let it marinate. Everybody just just let it pass. Like don't get out of it. I was just yeah. like give that person like uh, you know a year or in our stage like six minutes. Just give them six minutes to figure out that they have internalized homophobia, which is why they haven't been able to admit to themselves how queer they are. And then mm. they come to our space and they realize that they, then they they begin to realize and question that thing. I think people they come to the space and they think oh. I sometimes people kind of poo-poo in the space and they're like, oh, you know, like I'm not a queer comic. I, I, um, I, I want to do stuff that just like that plays to everybody, you know, but then they'll do a set in a tongue in cheek and they realize that they weren't doing comedy that applies to everyone before. They mm. were also straight, they were straight coding their comedy over there. Not like that space is not neutral. That yeah. other space is not neutral, you know, and there are no neutral spaces. 
and so anyway, yeah, we, so we're not just queering comedy by showing that there's demand and money to be made, you know, by doing this, but, mm-hmm. uh, but we're also, and, and, and we're filling the pipeline of potential new comics and new talent. Um, I'm really hope, hopeful that, um, being at Swan Dive, a place that, uh, drag queens trust that some drag queens will, you know, maybe get the idea to come and, uh, try comedy out of drag. We also have it so that people who are under 21 can come in. They have a cover charge if they're under 21, but they can come in. Huh. The reason why is because I heard that people, Dave Chappelle got started when he was 14. Hmm. You know, so I was like, if there's a young queer talent, out there, I want them to start in our room. I don't want them to start at Mr. Tramps. Yeah. You know, I want them to yeah. start in our room. You know, I mean, I, I love I loved doing Mr. Trans, you know, every once in a while, but I, I don't want a 14-year-old, you know, queer person to start there, yeah. you know. Um, so, yeah, we do all these kinds of things to try to make that pipeline, but we're also making the comics who are already working comics realize you know, the, how, how straight coded they've done their comedy and start to question some of these other mm-hmm. practices. And they, they also come and they sit in the audience when, and they see all these young comics, uh, who are, it's like their first or second or third or fifth time doing comedy. And they're so good already because mm-hmm. they're dispensing with all the cliches that traditionally straight comics do their first year. Yeah. Right. They're just dispensing. They, and so they just don't fall into those traps it doesn't take them a year to get through <laughs> all that stuff <laughs> yeah. they're just starting at just at a different level because they have consciously decided yeah. um to consciously decided to to have this you know more liberatory minded take in their content so cool it is really, it's really yeah. cool it's really cool. It's, should come out yeah well you know also being a mom with yeah. the nutty schedule. That's I mean, hard. for us to schedule us to sit down together was quite mm-hmm. a challenge. Usually mm-hmm. I'm not trying to schedule with another parent, so it's you know, <laughs> fairly easy, but it felt like it was like a, okay, a dueling battle, two moms <laughs> trying to find the one open space. The one open space yeah. that intersects with like six schedules. Yeah, exactly. Oh my God. Yeah. We should compare our, your, how old are your kids? Uh, they are uh, eight and four. Okay. All right. So probably the eight-year-old, well, you know, I, I don't mean to project, but in my brain, the eight-year-old is probably getting to a point maybe where they're starting to schedule outside activities. The four-year-old is all dependent on play dates and hanging out with, with other kids. So you're, yeah, you're already dealing with schedules. The, having a high schooler, and I just have one, my schedule is bonkers. Oh yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, I bet. Yeah. Well, bring your high schooler. It's the first Thursday of every month. Bring your high schooler. What time? um, Doors open at 7.30. First Thursday of every month, the show starts at 8. And your high schooler can get in for five bucks. Oh. And it's free for you. Okay. I might have to figure that out. Because the, you know, the other problem is the late night shows. Just can't do it when somebody has to swim at 6 a.m. Oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's bonkers. That's your fault. (laughs) That's your fault for getting them. Like, our parents didn't sign us up for extracurricular activities. Hey, I, I signed him up. The only thing I ever did is sign him up for swim lessons. He's the one that decided, yeah, I want to try out a swim team. Yeah, I want to keep doing swim team. Yeah, I want to now add a school swim team on top of my club swim team. Oh, and I'm, I'm going to do debate, too. Oh man, you have you have an, to be young and athletic and intelligent, with you know parents 
who care. <laughs> is, I can't yeah. even imagine. Yeah, I can't That's imagine. The problem is I care too much. I don't. I don't. I don't even want to. It makes me weep to think about all our lost potential. But it's, but also you know weep for how different our kids have it. That's great. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, we're going to take a little intermission here, and we're going to do this thing that I've been throwing into our episodes. Uh, this is from the card game, Where Should We Begin? And we've got two cards in front of us. You pick one, read it out, and answer the question, and then I'll follow suit. I'm a control freak about... Oh, this is so uncomfortable. Uh, I am a control freak about um, decor at the parties that I throw. (laughs) Please do not look outside of your perimeter of vision. No, just for the parties. Okay. Just for parties. Yeah, I love to have, I love, um, I love throwing parties. I really miss that during the pandemic. Mm. Parties are kind of my, my creative outlet. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I like to, I love when people come and, you know, I, I, the, th- the theme and the decor and all that stuff, honestly, it's kind of like extra, but um, that makes it memorable and helps you mark the passage of time. But I love it when to make a space, an environment, an event where you can come and f- figure out who you are when you are uh, physically safe, when you're not worried about money, when you're full, when you're happy, uh-huh. when no one's judging you, you know, for any reason. You know, my husband and I are burners, like we're... <laughs> Total exhibitionists, you know. There, we're, uh, and then we have like these these themes that are made to like ground you or delight you or whatever, you know. And and it, it's kind of it's kind of like this experiential art, except that for me, like for you, you experience the art as like this magical space that you're like coming into, uh-huh. you know, in this environment that you're coming into. Uh, but for me, it's um, the transformation of, of of you, I guess, the guest, the transformation of like who you become when these things are kind of taken away from you and yeah. I get to delight in who hmm. these people like become. And so I, I, so I'm very much like I have like kind of an artist, you know, um, pickiness, yeah. you know, like I, I very like, a, a, I want to compose, I want to compose the details of, of these parties. Wow. Very cool. Okay. Let's see what mine is. Something I would like to change about the way I deal with conflict. Oh my God. My go-to is to walk away. Because I don't like conflict. Walk away like permanently or just take a breath? Oh, no, take a breath. Okay. And I'd rather, I feel like it delays the inevitable of, okay, we've got to resolve the the issue. But and maybe, then do you come back because the other person like is like, hey, you have to come back and resolve this issue? Or do you're like, okay, I just need a breath, now I'm back? No, that that's part two of it is I wait for them to come find me. And maybe that's like a childhood ingrained behavior from how I saw others deal with conflict that it's like okay well I've got to walk away because I need to feel like I'm not in trouble from the conflict and that people want to um, they, they want to seek me out because if I walk away and they don't seek me out then they hate me and they don't love me but if they do come seek me out so that we can resolve the conflict then i mean it's almost like a test yeah that's really a high stakes test valley yeah god that's deep Woof! did not expect to go deep on that one <laughs> Woo, i would have rather done the control freak one because i'm a control freak about so many things <laughs> that's your fault for bringing esther perel into this podcast <laughs> 
I have no idea what that is, but that sounds hilarious. Look at this card. It's the consequences of oh. my own actions. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, my therapy, I guess. <laughs> uh, okay. Let's talk about uh, our first time to meet was actually in New Orleans. Oh, my God. That was life-changing. <laughs> was, that was my first festival as a participant, and it was so much fun. And Rochelle McConico, who everybody should just follow and adore. Incredible producer. And, hilarious. Yeah. Really great as a stand-up, and, but like actually like a world-class improviser. Yeah, yeah. just incredible. Wonderful human. Just very giving and wanting to help people. And, uh, yeah, she, she put together this this festival and it was like an all all women all uh, all women comedy festival in new orleans and it was their first year doing it and so you would think um so you know you you know there's going to be like kind of bumps you know it's like a little bumpy the first year yeah but i'd also but i didn't expect that it was going to be it's such incredible venues like every single one was like a big deal venue in the uh, in the new orleans comedy scene Mm -hmm. and so then we could we were able to meet People in New Orleans comedy yeah. scene, and that 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 event changed my life. The um, we met, you were doing there was a state you were doing a state uh, your podcast on a stage yeah. that was in a um, this like theater that's kind of known for cabaret and mm-hmm. cabaret in New Orleans. Like people, we oh my god, cabaret yeah. in New Orleans is it made me feel so small. I was like, we think we have cabaret here, and then oh, I gosh. saw what they had, and I was yeah. like, oh my god, I feel so small. It's like right barbecue now. joints around Austin. It's cabaret in New Orleans, it's everywhere. It's a whole difference. It's, it's, it's the scale. The scale is so impressive yeah. there. So um, that space, it, it actually has two stages, right? So you were you were doing your show at the stage in the back. That's where the, the festival events were uh-huh. at the second theater. And then there's the theater that's kind of just in the open air bar area. Mm-hmm. I was going uh, between shows. I went up to the bar to get a drink. And I found myself... In the middle of a cabaret show that was like already, it was packed. I couldn't like, I sat on like, I could barely get to the bar. It was packed. And I, and it was so funny. And I was like, I've never seen anything quite like this. It was like clearly people who would be world famous comics. Plus they could sing, plus they could do music. Plus, Mm -hmm. and so I was just sitting, I got my drink. And in the time that it waited to get my drink, I heard so much of the act that I was like, I can't leave. I've never seen a show like this before because people were laughing so hard, so constantly. Uh The laugh ratio was so high and people were literally throwing money at the stage. Oh my gosh. They literally threw money at this performer who is a comic. And so I talked to his, his name is Roman Ellis. And I talked to Roman Ellis after the show. And I was like, that was hilarious. It made me, it, I was like, my jaw was on the ground. My eyes wide open. I was looking at the crowd. I was listening to jokes. I, I like taped a whole bit about a, a, one of the acts like in the show. And I was like, this is comedy, right? Like a, we normally, the way I'd been studying about the business of comedy, this would not be considered comedy, but I'm looking around at people throwing money at punchlines. I'm like, this is being experienced as comedy, Mm -hmm. as like euphoric comedy, like as like hot, it was just like, oh my God. I was like, comedy is so many different things and my mind has been limited by what comedy is and I should not be looking at it from, you know, a studio executive's perspective. I should be looking at it from the audience's perspective mm-hmm. of like what they are willing to pay for if it makes them laugh, yeah. you know? 
and I talked to Roman afterwards and he was telling me, yeah, you see this? Like, and the bookers at the comedy club, the ones that are just strictly comedy clubs in town, um, they're like, oh, well, you know, I don't want to book you because I haven't seen you at the open mics. And he's like, uh. how am I supposed to go to an open mic and give up a night where I can make $300 making people laugh over here? Yeah. Plus, like, they're, you know, like, getting door and tips and all this kind of stuff. Um, like, you can't, I mean, you're, you're an artist. There's a housing crisis everywhere. You literally can't give up a night, yeah. give up a night of cabaret like that when people are already laughing so hard and, like, coming out to see yeah. His, his jokes he can't wow. go you know supplicate himself to a booker at a comedy club who doesn't deign to go explore and see what other huh. comedy is in their own city that's dumb <laughs> well i mean <laughs> but it's an opportunity you know i saw it as an opportunity that i'm like whoa like i look roman figured this out <laughs> yeah no <laughs> you know? it's it's dumb that a booker wouldn't look outside of their norm yeah. or say their little kingdom send me send me a tape and let me look at what you're doing. And right. they're obviously going to see, wow, there's something magical there. Oh, you're totally right. Yeah, they should just... I think I think a lot of times we take for granted the people in our own city. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Or maybe they're... Or, yeah, they're, I, yeah you're, you're totally right. They could have just been like, send me a link to a tape instead yeah. of like, I haven't seen you around at our at our club. Yeah. Well, why haven't they been at your club? Cause or there's divorce, like the self-fulfilling prophecy of, well, I can get butts and seats in my club because I've got this formula and it's the, you know, the, the straight white dude telling jokes about, you know, drugs and sex. And that's all I can, I can afford to look at because mm-hmm. I know that's getting my, the butts and seats. And, and, paying my and that's, you know, they have to, they have to pay, they have to pay their rent. It's really hard. I mean, I don't understand how people who run comedy clubs, honestly are even it's a very tough business right like and most theaters most theaters are run as arts nonprofits, and so people think that they can run this theater which is a comedy club and they think that they can make money from the bar and and that isn't on some and sometimes it works and sometimes it does not and so you know like they got to do whatever they got to do to keep their doors open and i totally get that but from the comics point of view we can't make being accepted by that as like the standard of are mm-hmm. we successful or are we funny? Yeah. Like, do you have people who are willing to pay sixty dollars to see you do a stand-up special? And if not, what do you need to do to get to that point yeah. to cultivate those fans and those butts in your seats at the theater that you want to have your special at? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that's how that that's how that's how I I, I think of it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's pivot to something big that's uh, coming up. And that is the Austin Sketch Fest. Oh, yeah. Speaking of, like, different ideas of <laughs> yeah. comedy, right? Like, it's not just stand-up or, and improv, yeah. like, scripted comedy. Oh, my God. Scripted comedy is just doing such so such incredible, so much incredible things are happening in scripted comedy right now. And I am I am one of the producers on Austin Sketch Fest this huh. year. And I it's, it was thrilling. It was thrilling to watch these submissions. <laughs> I can't even tell you how educational How did you get involved? Uh, they, I think every year, every year we put together kind of a board of uh, producers, mm-hmm. and actually uh, one of the producers who's been there for a while, um, Minda Way, uh, also works with me on Fogo. So when I was staffing up Fogo, you know, I put huh. I, I've been at Cold Town for a while because yeah. the kids I, I only do like one class a year because of the schedule sure. <laughs> we talked about, yeah. you know. Um, but I'm in, but I, but I'm in kind of the Cold Town performance group, and so I had posted kind of my um, job posting for, you know, I want stories 
story editors for Fogo. Mm-hmm. I know people in here like can write and are funny or whatever. Apply if you'd like. Here's that. Here's the you know the job posting. Um, and so then so so some Coal Town people you know applied it, and one of them was Minda Wei, who is extremely talented, um, has won all kinds of like screenwriting script wow. awards and things like that. Living in LA right now, you know. Uh, do living the dream, making making <laughs> incredibly hilarious and weird things, and it's awesome. Um, and so she's one of the producers of Austin's sketch fest. She's very passionate about scripted comedy, um, and so she just like knows kind of my skill set and um, recruited me recruited me in because they they needed you know my skill set for Austin sketch fest, um, and it's been awesome. <laughs> awesome everybody there is so cool and so talented and to get to to watch all these submissions you know and then actually get to bring some of these people like mm-hmm. in person for people to come watch and we've got a workshop by mo collins um nice. from like parks and rec yeah. and you know like just some really incredible things that mo collins has done we've got a workshop there um that I, every performer in austin if you're interested in comedy yeah. scripted comedy you should totally sign up yeah. for i mean yeah. mad tv come on I mean, yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's right. So we are, we're bringing some really girl gods. One of our headline headliners. Like we got some really incredible acts coming. Um, it's the end of this month at the Scottish Rite Theater. All fest passes are only sixty nine dollars. Funny nice. numbers. <laughs> Uh, or you can go through and get tickets for individual shows. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I hope that like if I, what I told you about what we saw in New Orleans, if that inspires, inspires, inspires you to be like, oh, I need to like open my mind about what comedy is, yeah. like then you need to go to Sketchfest. It's three days of um, sketches and also comics that are hosting and obviously like workshops and we're gonna have the after parties. Like it's just gonna, so you can like talk to other, you know, talk to other creators and and just, you know, make some friends with some artists and and then make cool shit with each other. How long has Sketchfest been running? I wanna say 13 years okay. or so but sometimes I, I get numbers yeah I can kind of mix up numbers so <laughs> so if I feel that it's 13 it's probably somewhere between 13 and 16 because I feel like <laughs> 16 and 13 are numbers six and three are numbers uh-huh. I tend to mix up so it, it's somewhere between 16 and 13 years but of course we were um we were virtual for two years mm-hmm. because of the pandemic. So this is actually our first year back and yeah. we're like stupid so excited. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, ner- like school children, like yeah. nervous for the first day of school. Yeah. It's so nice to start seeing the festivals come back. You know, Moon Tower came back and that was, you know, personally exciting for me because I get very excited about Moon Tower. Uh, but seeing Austin Sketch Fest come back, the I think ATX Television Festival came back this summer. I was at ATX Television Festival this year, and Robin Thede was there. Oh my god! Everything <laughs> oh, wow. Robin Thede said was incredible. Yeah. yeah. I skipped Moon Tower this year because I was just so stressed out about them stretching the calendar oh, after two weeks. Nuts! It's nuts. I it was do very it. difficult to cover. It was very intimidating. And exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I, I say this now. Uh, I think I'll have a different strategy next year if they do it again. I can't remember if they've announced their dates yet. Uh, but if they do it again where it's over two weekends, I think I'll have a different strategy, I think. I found it interesting that I got more reward out of the first weekend, which they had, like, what I would say, the lesser-known names, mm-hmm. because that's my, like, you know, getting excited is names that aren't like, you know, household names yet. Mm-hmm. Those yeah. are my jam. You want to be cutting edge. You don't want to be yeah. like the, 
you know, the mainstream. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you want to be, you want to be somebody that's like, oh, I knew about them before. Yeah. 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 I love my pro, my, I want to hear your protest because I didn't do the two weekend version. I did the, when it came back and the, um, and they had to postpone it to the fall uh-huh. last year I went. And my pro tip was everybody that you want to see on the more expensive pass mm-hmm. is doing, also yeah. doing shows on the cheaper pass. Yeah, no, absolutely. I probably after a few years, I realized there's no point to getting the headliner passes because I don't want to be jammed in. I mean, there there are some shows where it's like, yeah, this, you know, like a live podcast that's like a big podcast. Uh, sure, I'll, I'll do the, the headliner pass or, you know, I'll, I'll get on the press pass list uh, for my chance to get in. But by and large, all those main headliner acts are, are dropping in surprise sets mm-hmm. with with other great comics. So it's like, meh. Sometimes I did. I mean, it was nice to just, I like being in the Paramount Theater. It's a gorgeous theater. It's gorgeous, but, yeah. you know, I don't know. There's To me, there's a very distinct difference between seeing a comic in a large theater versus in, you know, more intimate space. Mm-hmm. And I'll always call on my, my I, not everybody loves him, but Sebastian Maniscalco is my example of how I've seen him at the comedy store a handful of times, and he destroys that room, and I love him in that room, but seeing him at the Bass Concert Hall, I felt nothing. Interesting. Why do you think that is? Um, because I think being able to see all of his goofy face, ex- facial expressions, and like, being able to like hear his voice not through necessarily the speakers like i don't know there's just something that got lost uh in that you know high production value environment i need to i need to get you to out, come out of my show so you can tell me what kind of spaces i need to be in oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god imagine that would be my my consultant business this is the space for you and this is the space for you yeah. <laughs> I did an ADHD hyper- hypomania thing where I stayed up all night, like literally until 7 a.m. when I was supposed to be doing something else <laughs> on deadline. And instead, Ooh. I stayed up all night on IMDb researching comedy specials that I admired to put together to, to understand like how many people need to work on a comedy special, what positions I need oh, to staff up, yeah. and then thinking about who I wanted to staff those positions and where in Austin or wherever, New Orleans or what have you, like I wanted like to have it and how much would that venue cost uh-huh. so that I could make a budget so that I could know how much money it is that I am yeah. shooting for to raise if I want to shoot my own comedy special. Wow. Because <laughs> if you want to, for wow. example, the cameras, if you don't shoot it on certain cameras, Netflix can't consider it, can't mm. buy it. Interesting. For example, and so the, those cameras like have a rental cost associated with yeah. them. And how many cameras? What kind of? How many cameras do I want? What kind of look? You know, it depends uh-huh. on what kind of look and what kind of specials I like. <laughs> you know, and like calculators just like get a just to get a ballpark figure of like uh, what I want. To, I feel like this next year I want to be going out to a lot of festivals and meeting people and obviously being inspired by work but also to meet the people behind the scenes behind that work yeah um and then that next and then so that'll be 2023 for me and then 2024 i'll be raising money to do that and hopefully in 2025 i'll be shooting my first hour show wow because i want to i want to be you know i like the, i like the comedy 
I like the comedy festival um, comics, yeah. like the way that they're like constantly working towards this like cohesive one hour show mm-hmm. like that, because I'm a storyteller that that is kind of my thing. Not that I don't yeah. do one liners, not that I can't do them. I love actually there's this one liner competition uh-huh. um, at Buzzmill yeah. <laughs> um, that Jaime Torres and Raymond Cabrera put on. And uh, every once in a while, it's like once a month, every once in a while I'll go because even, even though I know I'm probably not going to win. One time I did win, but I just assume I'm not going to win because there are so many, so many great one-liner comics here in Austin mm-hmm. that I'm just like, there's no way I'm going to win. But every month that I do it, I make myself write 20 to 30 one-liners so that I can do them at the competition. And every month that I do it, one of those one-liners becomes my favorite joke that I wrote that month. Oh, that's cool. To push yourself to to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because you still have to work on all the writing side of and performing side of preparing for that special. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, for for any for any performance, I feel like yeah. I do it for any performance. I'm definitely not so far into comedy that I get jaded about. Every time I go, you know, some comics are like, "No, oh, there's only you know six people in the audience or whatever," and then they're like mad about it, mm. you know. But to me, I'm like, "Oh, great! There's only six people in the audience, so now I get to try out some of these more intimate ways, yeah. so these more intimate styles or intimate jokes." Um, one time I, there was a, this could, this happened recently, but there's only six people in the yeah. audience and I've been wanting to try a set sitting down since I saw Gerard Carmichael's, um, special Rothaniel uh-huh. and it was so effective, you know, and, and, and there were a lot of things from his comedy that I'm also trying to do with my comedy and it, it and it was so effective. I was like, I really would like mm. to try, I would like to try to do a set yeah. sitting down and because it was only six people, it felt really intimate. Uh-huh. I, 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 I did it and it felt really good. It cool. felt really good. Uh, but I just, I compared to what I used to do and compared to what my parents, you know, who immigrated to the United States, like have done for me, anytime I get a gig doing comedy, Anytime I get an audition to be like a funny person in a commercial or a uh-huh. short film or anytime I get to write a script as stressful as it is, I'm just like, I can't believe I get to do this job. <laughs> I can't believe I'm not like doing nails, yeah. you know, like I, that's, that's what I, you know, or like translating at all hours of the night at yeah. a hospital. I can't believe I, I actually get to make art. I yeah. can't be- freaking believe this is what I get to do, you know? <laughs> Uh, I I love that that sentiment of, of of gratitude. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of down things about being a a, a performer of any kind. Um, I'm gonna put on my mom hat for just a moment, and tell people comics that you know if if you are performing to an audience of six or an audience of two, stop complaining about how there's only two stop complaining Pierre oh my god <laughs> those two people or six people they are there sitting down watching you. And those people could be the luckiest people on earth if they happen to watch you see do like an incredible set. So stop bitching. <laughs> so there you go. Mom segment over. Yeah. I mean be, it's I'm 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 with you. I'm like there are children starving in Africa you're complaining about. <laughs> you're complaining about there's only two people in the audience, yeah. you know. The, it's uh, fine to yeah. be bummed about it because you hope, you know, especially if you've spent the effort of promoting 
and you really were hoping more people would show up for you personally, yes, that is a bummer. Well, but it's almost never the comic who did that. It's usually the producer. Like, the, if the producer is bummed yeah. because they worked so hard to promote it and then no one showed up, like, totally, you get to have your feelings. Yeah. Okay? After yeah. the show, we have a good cry in the bathroom. Like, yeah. that's totally fine, you know? <laughs> but if you're a comic who did nothing to remove this show. Yeah, right. Like, and then don't. only two people showed up and you're still complaining as if the, I feel like a lot of people go into comedy because they think that the, uh, they think that they're going to get energy from the audience and the audience owes that mm. to them. That is not how art works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? The audience came to see your light, you know, like to be, to like most performers, it's it takes it out of you you know like they can't they're like catatonic the next day you know they have to like they'll do like a show on broadway even if you're in the chorus or you don't have to do as much emoting kind of at the front of the proscenium or whatever like the next day they're like they're asleep until it's time to go back to the theater and get in costume and makeup or whatever you know like you're giving to be an artist is to give so much of yourself yeah in the experience and so much of your energy and so much of your perspective, you know, to them that it should be draining on you. You're not there to like, they're, they're paying for your life. You're not there to suck their life for. It's like a vampire. <laughs> Don't be a Colin Robinson. If you get that reference, <laughs> it's what we do in the shadows reference. We... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't get the end energy vampire. Yeah. yeah. They should do an episode. Is there an episode where he tries stand up? They should totally do that. Oh my God, no. But he has been performing all season. And oh, I don't want to do any spoilers. So. <laughs> <laughs> Ivy, this has been absolutely wonderful. Is there anything we haven't talked about that you want to make sure people know? No. I don't think so. I think we covered we we covered uh, like everything. Uh, come out to please listen to my show Fogo. Please help us queer comedy. Come to the first uh, Thursday, tongue in cheek, uh, at Swan Dive or start another queer open mic. I'm yeah. not mad about it. I'm not like oh you stole my concept. Like no queer comedy. We need all hands yeah. on deck to queer comedy. Um, and I would love it if people would follow me uh, on any social media, Instagram, TikTok, but probably Instagram is probably where it's at it's um the, it's at ivy lee with one e like literally you have to spell out the phrase with one e i v y l e w i t h o n e e yeah that is just the, the best handle uh, and, and people still misspell your website it is that too isn't yeah, it it's yeah it's ivy lee with one e dot com yeah. uh okay well are you ready for your closing question I don't know if I'll ever be ready. <laughs> it's one word to describe your future. No! <laughs> no! <laughs> Can we make it multiple choice? What? I don't know what that means. Sure, whatever. What's the... <laughs> Can you give me like choice A, B, or C? You want me to give you the future words? Yeah. No, I can't do that. Why can't you do that? You're literally a writer. <laughs> That's true. I am a writer. Oh, gosh, this is challenging. Okay, so... Uno uh, reverse, bitch. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. uh, Sunshine, prolific, content. Oh, it's definitely not C. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And the world's on fire, so I'm going to say prolific. (laughs) 
This is a first. Man, people throwing this stuff back in my face. I used to be a reporter. Oh. Yeah, I can... I, I find it's actually really difficult. It's easier to interview people on my show than it is to be interviewed on other shows because mm. I just want to interview the interviewer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I have a friend who's been trying to interview me for years and I, she's not been successful yet. She knows who she is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Right. <laughs> on that cryptic uh, Facebook yeah. message note... <laughs> That vague book post. <laughs> uh, that's not shade. It's just I don't like talking about myself. Doing this card has thing during the episodes has like been a personal challenge to myself to like open myself up a little bit more. So, I mean, to our three listeners, I have no idea how many people actually listen. I mean, I do, but I don't. I also don't know how to yeah. check the stats on my podcast. <laughs> I also don't know. I only know it's people who leave know. An, a review on Apple Podcasts. I'm like, okay, these people have listened to the show. But my producer, Mariah Gossett, she knows how to check them. She, she gives me enough data every now and then. Uh, that's the fun of self-producing, is I have to figure it out. Anyway, much off track here. That is a wrap on Comedy Wham! Presents Ivy Lee. Tell us where we can find you. Well, we just did that. We can just edit this whole section out. We can out. just hold, okay. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So upcoming shows, Sketchfest is coming up, uh, first Thursdays, tongue and cheek <laughs> at Swan Dive. <laughs> we hope you've enjoyed learning about how Ivy got to be the comedic genius that you heard today just as much as I have. This has been Comedy Wham Presents Ivy Lee. I'm Valerie, and that's been funny. Thank you, Ivy. Thank you, Valerie. <laughs>